Hey, everybody, and welcome to Shitty Book Reports, where the reports are shitty, but the books are not. I'm Trevor. This is Mark. How you feeling, Mark? I feel like I feel like Prince playing Oregon Trail. How you feeling? Whoa. Um, I feel like... I don't even know. I'm distracted Empty? by I'm just I'm yeah, I'm distracted by Prince playing Oregon Trail. Tell me more about that. <laughs> uh it's not nonsense because I saw a tweet, you know, making the rounds a few weeks ago talking about you know the 50th anniversary of Oregon Trail. Right. So 1971. And mm -hmm. so it was originally designed by a Mr. Don Rodich. I think he was like a computer science student at a college nearby or something but he created it as a tool to help teach an eighth grade history class at bryant junior high in minneapolis whoa and so the crazy thing is prince nelson was an eighth grader at that school in 1971 so there's a very real chance that he was one of the first people in the, in the world to play oregon trail so wait it's prince nelson <laughs> prince's real name yeah damn that's crazy yeah. Not a stage name, Prince Prince Rogers Nelson, the artist formerly known as Prince. Yeah, isn't that wild though? <laughs> That's crazy. That he, Just he the way things line up, he could have potentially like been. Or I wonder if it was like a thing, like an undiscovered gem. Like, yeah, that old computer in the corner has like whatever, like Mister or whoever is like crazy fantasy of like you know. And then someone played it and was like, wait a second. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, that's weird too because I know that they're they're like they came out with like a new Oregon Trail on that like Apple Arcade thing. Uh -huh. Apple has like a thing you can subscribe to for video games, and they they like remade Oregon Trail. So hopefully, him or his estate are uh, rolling in the dough right now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, classic memories of just hunting. And hunting too much just because yeah. that part was fun. And yeah, then... the classic one is just like you get to a point where you're hunting buffalo and then you kill like too many of them. And then doesn't it say like it's like your cart can have, you know, like 10 pounds of meat and you have 4,000 pounds. Yes, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> just leaving it on the trail. How much do you want to take? <laughs> so, yeah, I need to I need to uh, scan through Prince's lyrics to see if there's, you know, anything any kind anything. of clue, any kind of clue anything related yeah so literally the same school and everything yeah same school same year has, same has anyone grade pointed that out like on wikipedia or you're noticing the connection uh someone posted about it on twitter uh oh. so i don't know if it's made its way to wikipedia yet but it, it's canon that he was yeah. there Dude, he was at least there there's the no questions have to be answered like, yeah, yeah. His, his estate has to make a statement <laughs> exactly uh so yeah i thought that was pretty interesting and also crazy that it's 50 you know 50 years old so i guess in classic you, learning you, games you could also say that you're feeling young and spry sure because you feel like prince playing oregon trip yeah you know <laughs> like the parallel of me playing math blaster or something back in the day nice math blaster. yeah so anyways well, yeah, you have some sort of uh, intro. This is yet another uh, example of me pawning off the responsibilities to Mark for the intro. Yeah, no, <laughs> we're trading. Well, we did we uh, the last couple we've uh, kicked it back and forth. So I'm, I'm on that kick again. It's the the introducing kick because I found okay. I found another article shaming me for not knowing about a certain author. And 
that's that's a that's kind of like a, a brand of article like you shouldn't you should know about this and if you don't you know then guess article, get to it this yeah. article will fix you <laughs> and and you know this one actually seems like someone i might want to check out like and that's almost exclusively based on some specific name dropping that happens in the article interesting yeah so i'm talking about an article from february 23rd it's from the new yorker Mm -hmm. uh, from russell banks titled the marvelous forgotten stories of a.e coppard russell banks is russell who's the famous russell russell banks i don't know <laughs> russell peters stand up russell banks <laughs> no who's that guy the english guy with the wavy hair russell brand russell brand okay, okay yeah okay, okay okay yeah this is uh one of the russells but <laughs> so so I'm going to paraphrase the hell out of this article. Uh, I okay. just, you know, took a little, you know, a couple things out of there so you could see those name dropping, you know, things that I'm talking about. From the start of his career, A.E. Coppard was compared favorably to Thomas Hardy, Rudyard Kipling, and D.H. Lawrence, and was viewed as Chekhov's and Maupassant's legitimate British heir. Between 1921 and Coppard's death in 1957, he published more than 20 short story collections. Hmm. So he's a short storyist. Short storyist. Yeah. Is so there, there's probably some like dictionary like word that we don't know that means like because like novelist is one who writes novels. Yeah. Is there a novella novellaist? I hope so. Yeah, that could be one. But uh, so who's your who's your favorite short story? Like, who do you think of uh, as when you think of sh a short story collection author? Um, there's that woman, Monroe, who did Dance of the Happy Shades. Mm -hmm. I think there what what she won like the Nobel Prize. Alice, Alice Monroe. Yeah, Alice Monroe. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I covered She's like her. A big story, short story prison. Right. Yeah. And uh, Joyce Carol Oates. She does like she's done novels, but she's definitely done shorts too, like collections of shorts and stuff. Um, Murakami is out there, like kind of like I. You mentioned the New Yorker, like every once in a while, the New Yorker is just like, "Here's a new Murakami story." <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, 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 I saw he had something, something either already released or something coming up. Uh, I don't know. I don't. I'm not. You know tuned into everything but i think i saw some cover that i didn't recognize on like uh you know uh google news or something so mm -hmm. i got that's something worth checking out but one of the short story writers that i covered i don't know when maybe in the teens early episodes mid episodes was uh flannery o'connor though yep oh uh, yeah well she, what, she was what really rises good. must converge or whatever yeah. Um, so that was the second name drop that I'm about to drop the name. <laughs> Continue reading there and give you a little bit more insight on this guy. There is something uniquely characteristic of Coppard's stories, which I'd rarely seen in male writers, especially of his generation and perhaps of any generation. He was, as Flattery O'Connor said, fascinated by women's secretiveness, although I would put it rather differently. In many, if not most, of Coppard's best stories, the protagonist is a man or a boy whose life is confounded by his inability to see into the heart and mind of the woman or girl he loves. But it's not because of her secretiveness. It's because the male is too obtuse, self-absorbed, and overloaded with fantasy and projection 
or too dishonest and insecure, or merely too professionally and financially ambitious to see what's before his clouded eyes. Mm. Coppard himself, however, and thus the reader, sees clearly into the depths of the beloved woman's vulnerable heart and mind, even while the love-struck suitor or the befuddled husband or the overprotective father or the dismissive brother or son cannot catch a glimpse, until it's too late, that is, and the lover and beloved must go their separate ways. As a result, at the center of these stories, there's profound, heartbreaking loneliness, male and female alike, a loneliness one senses that is shared by the author. Seems like one of those articles that, like, uh, you know, gets tur- like it's reminding me of uh, when I covered George Sand, how there was like all these people in the late 1800s, or it's like this man knows a woman's heart, and then it's like, haha, I am a woman. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, that could be true, but well, I I know that that's not true with this guy. I've seen a picture of him. Okay, <laughs> but yeah, I see what you mean. <laughs> It's like how how does how does uh, George Sand know so much? <laughs> it's almost as if. But anyways, yeah, that's that paragraph that I just read. That's very Hardy esque to me. So that kind of draws me in. And then to get like uh, Flannery O'Connor cosign is great because she's, I'd say she's one of the better you know short storyist. Mm-hmm. Uh, authors that I've read, like the benchmark in my eyes, at least so far, and you know, in my reading. Nice. Uh, but I got it. I grabbed, kind of reached a little bit for another another parallel. Here's another quick eps, uh, excerpt from the from the article. There are a few photographs of Copper and no film footage that I'm aware of. He seems to have kept himself out of the camera's way, no doubt, deliberately. Mm. So the reclusive mystery man yeah so a little bit uh pinchonian he was saying he's hanging out with pinchon and jd salinger right now yeah uh although there are multiple pictures of him if you google image search but not many the new yorker well it's new yorker so they always like do like drawings instead of pictures sometimes but right anyways the new yorker the new yorker should release a drawing of pinchon <laughs> P.T. Anderson yeah. met him. Yeah, I we need to do like a uh, what is it? a police sketch from yeah, P.T. Anderson. Yeah, P.T. Anderson and the police sketch artist. Yeah. So yeah, a couple other interesting things to note about A.E. Coppard. Uh, he was a boy. Another one of those weird connections. He was a boy living in East London during the Jack the Ripper murders. Mm. so he was he was in the center of it all wow not as and, cool as eh, it depends on your perspective but not, not as cool as <laughs> oregon trail <laughs> which which is cooler oregon tra- living during oregon well i don't know because just living in the area of a murderer seems like more people have that privilege than like i was the like first eighth grader to sure. play oregon trail yeah yeah it's more exclusive yep uh, he was also part of an Oxford literary group called the New Elizabethans Ooh. that was sometimes sometimes attended by W.B. Yeats. Wow. Another connection. Another connection. Yeah. That one's so, probably cooler than Jack the Ripper. Yeah. <laughs> Although it would be like, you know that like, I mean, it depends on their personality type, but I 
you know that there were people who like grew up like for the rest of their lives being like i was a, i was a kid when ripper was around yeah you know, like trying to you know like trying to impress people <laughs> or some you know some fake story about how they saw him in the shadows mm -hmm. one night or something if you were if you were like a little kid back then would you you know with your friends and stuff would you guys i imagine some kids were like kind of sleuthy or whatever like we're gonna I'm going to try and catch him, like Harriet the Spy or whatever, yeah. <laughs> Hopefully they wouldn't. Uh, <laughs> but also, I, you know, it depends. Like, you never know with self-defense, but the Ripper didn't kill, like, kids, right? He just killed, he killed like, prostitutes and stuff. Yeah. Uh, makes you wonder. Mm -hmm. But anyways, uh, A.E. <laughs> Coppard. Uh, A.E. Coppard. Probably going to check out some of his stories down the road. Yeah, sounds good. Yeah. Uh, so it's my turn to go first this week. Yep. And we've already discussed the book that I'm covering. Okay. In a today Brian. or <laughs> yeah, how yeah. long ago? Yeah, in this very episode, we have discussed the book that I am covering. Okay. You have to. Would you like to make some predictions? Is it uh, Monroe? <laughs> No. No. Uh, what did we just talk about? <laughs> Not Flattery O'Connor. It must be a short stories, right? Yeah. Murakami. <laughs> yes. You said something <laughs> you said something new was on the market. And, you got uh, it? And you were correct. Yes. First person singular. I'm staying very topical. Okay. Um, just published by Murakami, a uh, a selection of short stories called First Person Singular. I ordered this book, like, you know, as soon as it was available. Um, one, because I knew it would be a talking point. <laughs> you yeah, left me hanging. Point. You left me hanging when I was trying to think of it. Yep. Back <laughs> five minutes ago. <laughs> um, and also just jumping at the opportunity to do short stories, because I'm sure that the podcast has informed, like, when you see, like, short books or short stories, you're like, hell yeah. <laughs> it's going yeah. to be easy to talk about that on the podcast. So I actually ended up pre-ordering it because I saw all the art same articles that you saw, I'm sure. Yeah. And it was basically just, you know, it was it was ready for pre-order. So I got it. Um, a few things like, yeah. Well, the one thing that I've said in the past that I am thankful is not true of this book is I've mentioned to you before that the market is sometimes like so hungry for Murakami that with a short story collection or like a novella that gets like translated into English and then published, I'm wary of of that because it seems like they're like really hungry. And I and I think I'm kind of specifically targeting one of his like short stories slash novellas called The Strange Library. And when they published it, it's like, you know, it's a short story that has its own binding, you know, so it's like yeah. so small that it's like a pamphlet, basically. <laughs> And I just did, I actually, it's probably also one of my least favorite things that Murakami has ever written. So I felt like I bought a book, read a short story, and it wasn't that good. And I was just like, it's stupid that they like wanted to make this like into its own book. Sure. Um, but I'm thankful to say that first person singular, which I hold in my hand in hardcover, is not that. It's a, it's a pretty good uh, selection of, of short stories. It's, um, let's see here. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Eight short stories. 
One of them, it was actually in The New Yorker, and I read it before, Confessions of of a Shinigawa Monkey. And that's another thing that is, like, sort of dissatisfying. Like, I feel that reaching back into the past and discovering gems like Balzac or um, Zola or, like, all these different people who it's, like, or literally, like, like the guy that you just mentioned is probably going to be, like, an awesome journey or, like you said, like, Thomas Hardy and stuff like that. It feels cool to to be like sort of autonomous within history to reach back and say, I want to read this. I want to read that. But when you're living in the moment and on the cutting edge of like a like a world famous author like Murakami, it's like it does come with little like burns like that where it's like I've already read this in The New Yorker. Like there's yeah. one part of this book that I've already read. <laughs> you paid for it twice. <laughs> yeah. Um, I actually think Shinigawa Monkey was free in the New Yorker, but okay. either way, I paid for it with my time. Sure. Um, That's the Nintendo uh, sales pitch. You just buy buy the same game like five times. Yeah. So um, definitely. So yeah, I mean, a few things about the book itself. The the like dust jacket, which we've talked about before. I kind of just like took off and like threw in my drawer. I guess I'll put it back on when it's on, when when I'm done with it. But the dust jacket is like a picture of one of those monkeys that's like, you know, bathing in the hot springs and it's Murakami first person singular. And that image is obviously a reference to Confessions of a Shinigawa Monkey. But I think that the because I mentioned it's hardcover, so it has like a print on the hardcover and the hardcover is so cool. And it actually leads into what I like with the story that I want to talk about, which is called um, Charlie Parker. Charlie Parker plays Bossa Nova. And the cover, like the what's actually printed, like on the hardcover book, underneath so, the jacket, yeah, yeah, underneath the jacket is so cool. It's like a reference to just that one short story, and it is, it's like basically um, how like an old style jazz record um, would look like you know where it has like a stripe down the side and then it has the listings of like side a and side b like the yeah. song names and stuff but the the thing that's cool and it leads me into this short story is that charlie parker plays bossa nova which the design of the book is this record jacket is in a short story that he writes and this record doesn't exist and it's really cool. Like Murakami, obviously, like he says, um, you know, he references like jazz musicians and specific songs. And actually another really cool thing that I got um, that kind of also brought me into the book. So I guess yay marketing is that I have I, ha- I get like an email from like some sort of I-, I think I did a thing in the past where I like signed up to like a Murakami like official like notice to like what for when books come out and stuff. Sure. And I actually got an email where they put out specifically like first person singular. The short story came out and they put out a Spotify playlist. Oh, nice. Yeah, we've talked about that before. (laughs) It's like, here you go. And I was like, yeah, like, that's so good. Like they're already out there, like user generated. Like there's a million YouTube videos where the first comment is like, I'm here because of Murakami who's reading Kafka on the shore, you know, like. Stuff like that, but yeah. okay. So then the story. Uh, did you did you do that for this book? Did you sync them up? 
I didn't sync them up yet, but I haven't really gotten to a short story where it specifically was like this song or whatever. Okay. Yeah. But this rep, this short story I'm about to talk about, Charlie Parker plays Bossa Nova, is really cool. It's basically um, the basic story. And and first of all, like the like there's been reviews already about first person singular where it's like, oh, it's so much more of the same like style of Murakami. But I think people kind of just need to resign themselves at this point that like Murakami, like every single story is like, I recently broke up with someone and I'm single now. And this is a weird thing that happened in my life. And yeah. like, that's just everything. Like, I think I had a friend tell me that he heard something on NPR where they were like, you know, ready to be like sort of like PC police about like every every story that he writes is from the first person perspective of a male. Like he never has like, you know, female characters. And it's like, that's the thing, dude. Like, that's the thing. It's mm-hmm. tw- he's written. Yeah, I think I think I saw an article that said this is his 22nd book. And it's like, yeah, there's 22 books out there where Murakami writes about the time when he was like single like that is like you know, <laughs> that's like what he does. I, I actually was thinking, like, I don't know much about Murakami's life, but I think he might be married or something. And it's like it's kind of interesting that like his entire world famous career is about like so i broke up with my wife or yeah recently separated (laughs) yeah i'm recently separated and i decided to take a random trip that wasn't like that has no planning (laughs) (laughs) that's like his entire oeuvre so charlie parker is a saxophonist right yes charlie parker plays you're the jazz head yeah he's a he's a he's a jazz musician and I don't. I haven't really even listened to that much Charlie Parker, but the story, the way that it's structured, is kind of cool. One maybe possibly unique thing about this story is that it starts out with like the narrator saying um, that he's. I think this is the one where he says that he's telling a story to someone younger. Uh, no, that's a different one. But anyway, it starts out with a snippet of like. Um, you know, uh, this was a piece that I wrote uh, back in college. And I don't think it's a true Murakami story. It's like all like 100% fictional. But it starts out with this guy basically writing like an article uh, that was a that's a review for the record. Charlie Parker plays Bossa Nova. And he was like, I wrote this in college. It was the first time I, anything I wrote got published. And the first time I got paid a fee for something I'd written, even if it was a pittance. So he writes this article and then the editor of the college like paper finds out that Charlie Parker plays Bossa Nova is not a real record. (laughs) (laughs) So he's like, what the fuck? Like people are like writing me being like, this isn't real. And he even goes so far in the article to make up like the song names. He's like side A has Corcovado and Once I Loved, Just Friends and Bye Bye Blues. And side B has out of nowhere, how insensitive once again and dindy. And then the <laughs> the other cool thing about that is that that's like what it says on the book jacket, like side A, side nice. B, like these like made up names. Um, and then I'm just going to spoil the story. So anyone out there who wants to read Charlie Parker. It just came out. Yeah, <laughs> just uh, I'll just spoil the whole story. I mean, this whole book you could probably read in, after, in an afternoon. Well, Although people could have. Yeah, it is 240. 40 pages total which okay, yeah, that's so a, just that's one a of them chunk yeah it's just one of them but you can read the story in five minutes but i really like the story because it's very it's like super murakami in a way because it's like 
jazz and whatever and what i'm about to describe is like you know so murakami but the basic plot of the story is he writes this fictional piece in college he tells you like a little bit about like his you know time about back then and and liking charlie parker and everything and then eventually he like he's like and then you know later on in life like after i had grown up and completely forgotten all about this he goes to like a he's like i'm in new york city on business and uh he goes to like a record store like like an old record store or whatever and he's going through the records and he finds charlie parker plays bossa nova and he's like what like this is so weird and like so stupid and i think that this like the next thing that happens is like kind of like true to life like he brings it up to the cash register and he's like hey like how much is this record and can you like tell me about it and the guy is like i don't know but it's you know it says it's 35 bucks or whatever and then he decides not to buy it like he's <laughs> he's like ah like this is stupid like you know like whatever and then like a day later he's like it was really stupid that i didn't buy that <laughs> like because I wrote this like fictional thing about it and it's like it's really stupid that I didn't buy it so then he goes back again and I think that that's so true you know like when you go and like when you do something on a whim and then you're like why like that makes no sense like I you know why didn't I just like buy it or check it out because yeah. he, he asked the guy to like listen to it and they're like no the turntable's broken or whatever so then he goes back obviously it's gone when he yep. goes back, like there, it's not like not so there anymore. The, yeah, the inverse of buyer's remorse. Right, the inverse. And then the story ends kind of like. And another cool thing about short story collections from Murakami is you you know I've said before that my favorite part of Murakami is like the like intense like anticipation leading up to the last sentence or paragraph. Yeah. And so in this book, you get that eight times. <laughs> like you get that like like this is like i'm not gonna go forward with the guy who made up charlie parker plays bossa nova like it's just you know whatever and then the end of the story is kind of cool he goes to sleep or, or i think it goes forward in time one more time um and he basically he has a dream where charlie parker appears to him in his dream and plays the the first track of sign a Corcadova, a made up song. And he's like, so basically I feel, you know, that Charlie Parker like visited me in a dream and like made my fantasy of Charlie Parker plays bossa Nova come true in my dream. And he's like, when I wake up, I like, couldn't, I couldn't remember it. <laughs> <laughs> so it's all these kind of like missed opportunities, which I thought was, it was pretty cool. And, um, yeah, Charlie Parker plays Bossa Nova. I mean, that's like, uh, you know, and then like the last, like, again, just always like anticipation of the last sentence of Murakami. Um, you know, Can you read said, the first and last? Oh, yeah, I'll read the first and last. So, yeah. Because uh, so this, I've realized this book isn't even old enough, it seems to have reviews. <laughs> okay. <laughs> have a one star. So, so it says Bird is back and Bird is Charlie Parker's nickname like jazz nickname so the yep. first sentence is bird is back it really did <laughs> uh, oh, okay. make... first, first two last two okay first two. i did a little more bird is back how fantastic that sounds can you believe it you better because it happened it really did there we go 
Yeah, the last the last little chunk is good because he's talking about the dream and how he played Corcovado just for me. And then he says, can you believe it? Well, you better because it happened. It really did. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's like a little like all of these are like that, like a little slice of life where it's like, that's weird. That was Murakami. That was like a record that didn't exist. But I love that the like book like design, they should have made the the dust cover the same thing. Yeah. Because the dust cover is like just like one of those stock photos of a monkey or whatever. But this is like a truly it's like a work of art because um, it's like a fictional record. It's really good. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Off. Just you can chuck the dust jacket. Yeah, you can just chuck it. No one cares about the dust. jacket. Yeah, it that's that's not the part that collects dust. It's the top. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> why why is shit. it even here? Yeah, it's not even doing anything. If you leave it flat on the table, there should be a there dust. should be a dust sleeve for the yeah. top. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> There's probably right. some sort of like you know historical etymology etymology means language, but some like reason that traces back to like book covers I like dust jackets actually used to matter, but now they're just like Waste of paper. Yeah, I guess using them as bookmarks or... But you can only use it as bookmark so far into it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> then it like stretches beyond its bounds and then you're just like, this is dumb. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm never been a fan. Oh, well. Never been. But, but yeah, that sounds good. Yeah, and of course, like I've read a few other ones in here. I actually haven't read all of them yet, but I've read a few other ones in here and they're all... Yeah, they're really good. I read On a Stone Pillow is really good. It's like kind of good. And um, the first, the very first one called Cream is like so super short. It's almost like flash fiction, but it's it's good. Um, or maybe I just thought it was short because it's actually 30 pages. <laughs> Sweet. All right. First person singular. Check it out. Brand new. Off the press. 2021. Yep. Translations of Murakami. Nice. So uh, my book this week is a little bit older. Mm -hmm. Not that much older, though. 2005. Cool. So where were we in 2005? High school? Sounds about right. I think we were like starting high yeah. school. We were like freshmen or sophomores or something. So thinking back to those school days, maybe a little bit earlier, middle school, uh, did you like history class or social studies? Hell yeah, especially because some various very good teachers in our in our school district. But yes, the answer is yes. Okay, I I think I I didn't enjoy it too much. Maybe we I, we might have had different teachers there, but depends on who you had. Did you ever have Miss Regan? No, I had Yaps, dude. Yaps sucked. Yeah, Yaps is <laughs> like okay. Miss Regan is like I still email. Oh, Russian. Regan. Yeah, she had Russian. I took Russian history with her, and that she was yeah. good. Yeah. I think the more specific history classes were good like that, but the the broad, uh, yeah, you know, curriculum right. ones are were not so good. And I think all the fun was drained out of it by following, you know, the nationwide curriculum or whatever they had to do. <laughs> right. But if you remember from when I covered a book called "The Decline and Fall of Practically Everybody." by Will yeah. Cuppy. Yeah, I remember that. Uh, you'll know that, you know, I'm not that big on reading about history, but if mm -hmm. you put it through a humorous kind of lens, you know, make it funny, mm -hmm. I can stomach it and maybe learn something along the way too. Cool. 
And I think that's a pretty critical skill of an author to be able to present facts like that, dry, dry facts sometimes and detail real events in, in a funny way. Mm-hmm. You know, even if you're, if you're bad at it, things that are surface level funny, like things that, you know, the facts are funny, you, they can still fall flat. And if you're good at it, like, you know, Cuppy is the most mundane thing can be made, be made funny. Mm. So uh, I'm going to put you on the spot again, but let's check that public school education. Uh, <laughs> okay. Can you, can you name the four presidents who have been assassinated? Oh, bonus man. point, bonus points if you can do it in order. It's definitely not going to be in order. <laughs> it's definitely not going to be in order. Um, Lincoln. Okay, that's the first one. JFK. That's the last one. Oh, okay. You're giving me some hints. So the most recent one is JFK. So Lincoln, JFK. And then the other two are going to be like ones that are like, you know, forgotten by the public school system or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Take some, take a couple stabs. Some presidents. Um... Late 1800s uh, president. Hamilton? Nope. No, Hamilton was like got in a duel with a guy. Think but... about think about a certain animal that we talk about good amount. Maybe uh, a cartoon. Uh, oh, Garfield. Yeah. Garfield. <laughs> He's number president two. Garfield. Who killed him? How did he die? Jay, uh, I'll get into that later, but he was uh, shot. Okay. He was shot, but then like didn't die right away. He was shot, and then they like the bullet Lincoln, was in him for a while. Didn't Lincoln same? Th- he died like the same day, but Lincoln oh, was like dead. On he spot. was pretty much dead in the spot, but yeah, he died afterward. Uh, so who's number three? Any guess? Any clue? Well, we know four now. Yep. Uh, so Lincoln, Garfield, JFK, and no, I meant number three, like chronologically. Chronologically, okay. yeah, yeah. Um, no, I have no idea. <laughs> so William McKinley, okay, McKinley, yeah, okay. uh, yeah. We didn't really learn about about the the middle two that much, which is probably a shame considering that they were U.S. presidents that got killed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, pre- uh, I, I was there's a Wikipedia article, of course, that uh, covers presidential assassinations and. So it's like the first, it's the tabbed articles or whatever. Number one, presidents assassinated Lincoln, Garfield, McKinley, Kennedy. Number two, presidents that were wounded, Roosevelt and Reagan. And number mm. three, assassination attempts and plots. And there's a whole bunch of them there, actually. Of course. Yeah. Wait, Reagan, Reagan was wounded in some sort of like attempt on his life? I think so. Yeah, yeah. I thought he was, uh, he was shot. Yeah, there was an attempt. Oh my god. Or it might not have been a I don't remember if it was uh, a gun or a weapon or whatever, but yeah, yeah, there was an attempt there. But anyways, the book that I yeah, you should check out that article. Uh the book that I read for this week is concerned with the first three. So mm-hmm. not JFK. So just Lincoln, Garfield, McKinley. Okay. And again, it's uh or you know, like I hinted at, it's through the lens of humor. Uh, but it's also from the first person perspective of someone who's obsessed with these as like historical events. Cool. And I think of all the things that, you know, I randomly like about people without knowing them. It's like, I enjoy witnessing people's healthy obsessions with things. You know, I think Mm -hmm. I feed off that passion sometimes, even if it's like something weird, if you're like 
actually into it and not just oh you know, yeah whatever yeah Definitely. i like that you should there's a movie you should watch called uh, uh i forget the title it's like it's by errol morris like uh insanely fast and incredibly cheap or something like that and it's just all these it's like exactly what you're talking about it's like these people with mundane passions but all it's like four different people in interviews and like at and like doing their passions where it's like who the hell are these people? Like one of them is like one of them is like a topiary guy, you know, like Edward Scissorhands style, like uh-huh. cutting up bushes. Yeah. And, uh, and another one is like a guy who's like insanely obsessed with like the mole rat and like knows like everything about them. And then yeah. one of them is like a robotics guy. It's really good. Cool. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, you know, I definitely appreciate that out of people. Um, so the author that I read this week, her name is Sarah Vowell. Okay, and I'll get into some strange uh, connections with her later. But uh, among among other things, she's obsessed with the assassinations of Abraham Lincoln, James A. Garfield, and William McKinley. Was she also in Prince's eighth grade class? No, <laughs> but <laughs> uh, so I read her 2005 book, Assassination Vacation, and it's about her taking like a road trip to all the important places having to do with these three events. Hmm. It's like all the historical locations, all the plaques and statues and, you know, the random estates where like, Oh, this is where, you know, Lincoln was laid up after he was shot and, you know, stuff like that. And obviously like uh, Ford's theater and all those different things. But so it's Mm -hmm. the first person perspective of her taking like a road trip and, dragging her some of her like friends to things that they like don't give a shit about but she's like obsessed with (laughs) that's cool but yeah uh so she's she's very funny uh in this book but it's it's kind of interesting like having it be from 2005 because uh she talks about like the current president a lot you know george george bush at the time Mm -hmm. uh but yeah I'll, i'll talk a little bit about that later too so this book taught me a lot of weird interesting facts you know maybe stuff i learned in school but then forgot about uh but anyways let's let's play some did you know so i can pretend that i didn't just learn about this stuff (laughs) shame you for not knowing (laughs) you'd be on your high horse (laughs) yeah yeah so did you know that john wilkes booth yelled the latin phrase six semper tyrannis after he leapt onto the stage at Ford's theater, uh, right after shooting Lincoln. I actually did know that death to tyrants, right? Uh, thus always to tyrants, but same kind uh, of thing. Yeah. Death to tyrants or whatever. Yeah. Suggesting that bad, but just outcomes would eventually befall tyrants. Mm. But did you know that that's also the state motto of Virginia to this day? <laughs> like they haven't changed it. Nice. <laughs> And it's like also been included on a lot of, you know, Confederate flag, like memorabilia and stuff, but it's still the state motto of of Virginia. (sighs) Yeah. (laughs) I mean, state mottos, like who cares, but yeah, I mean, but the same way, who cares? Why not change it? It doesn't have to like, (laughs) shouldn't shouldn't be this thing set in stone, but with all these bad connotations. But so another thing I learned, uh, can you name the doctor who performed surgery on John Wilkes Booth's broken leg after the Lincoln assassination? No. 
Uh, I'll give you a, a hint that's like a relation to a Primus song. Ooh, Mud. <laughs> yeah, Doctor <laughs> Doctor Samuel Mud. Nice. My name is Mud. Yeah. <laughs> I have I have a feeling that my name is Mud is not exactly about the doctor. Yeah. But uh, but yeah. So so when John Wilkes Booth after he shot Lincoln, he like jumped off the balcony and he busted his leg doing mm-hmm. that. And he, what he, it must have been a different presidential assassination where because he didn't like escape. I thought he like escaped and was he, like no, on, he did on the land. Yeah, yeah. So oh, he, so so he Mud was, was like lamb. an accomplice. Well, that's the whole thing. Like he uh, was assumed an accomplice because Booth like knew where he lived enough to like you know get to his house mm-hmm. in Maryland. So you know he went from from DC to uh, he on horseback. And isn't it I don't know thing- how far it was, but she like tra- she like traced it, you know, with her road trip. Isn't it a thing too that like the John Wilkes Booth was successful, but he there were like other he was like in league with other people who were trying to kill the vice president and stuff too, right? Yeah, yeah. So there were th- there were like three attempts that night, I think. Uh, so yeah. his was the only one that was successful, but I think he uh, one of his accomplices wounded the Secretary of State, I believe, mm-hmm. at the times, so and that like that doesn't get talked about too much either, but. She like, went into that in detail and, you know, covered kind of, uh, I think he the, was, uh, he would, he knifed him or something. He, he like slashed the hell out of him, but didn't kill him. Yeah. The comparison to our lifetime would be like nine 11 is the big event. And then people are like, and also there was like a plane at the Pentagon and also like in some random field in Pennsylvania or something. Yeah. Yeah. People in the future are going to be like, what? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, but yeah, Dr. Samuel Mudd. So he was charged with life in prison as a co-conspirator. And so he was imprisoned at uh, Fort Jefferson, which is a huge like mil- military base in the middle of the ocean. It's like mm-hmm. this gigantic structure uh, that took a lot to, to build. It's off the Florida Keys. Mm-hmm. So it's down there. And it was like a really important uh, you know, military point back when the, the seas mattered a little more. Uh, so anyways, there was, there was, so he was in life, he was, you know, life in prison there. It was a shitty place because, you know, it was, it was off the sea and like, I think they were below, I think the, the jail cells were below sea level. So the, the floor was always wet, just like a bad condition to be in. But anyways, there was a huge outbreak of yellow fever at the fort in 1867, wiped out a ton of people, including the prison doctor. Uh, so, you know, Mud was a doctor, so he like was tasked with taking over and helping, you know, cure people, help stem the spread of the disease. So he was like a hero for a, like a hot minute there, even mm. though he was like a you know prisoner and you know in life in prison for for being an accomplice of the Lincoln assassination. But he was actually pardoned by President Andrew Johnson after that. But his name was never really cleared. You know, his like his descendants mm-hmm. tried tried forever and ever to you know clear his name, but history is kind of still on the side of that he was probably bad guy. But clear the name of Mud. Yeah, <laughs> that's a tough one. So yeah, but that also it's a it's a 
cool way that she talked about in the book because she actually took like the boat trip out there and checked out the place and you know had some conflicting feelings about the treatment of you know prisoners there because it just seemed like a really shitty place an inhumane kind of thing but mm -hmm. the book has a lot of tidbits like that and so they all kind of align with her travels throughout the book you know she's visiting all these historical sites and freaking people out with how interested she is <laughs> so she she talks about how she's i think i think up? i was like that a little bit when i went to the faulkner house yeah <laughs> i was like i like no one ever goes there right and there's like one like old lady or whatever who's like like watches over everything and i'm like have my copy of mosquitoes i'm like taking selfies and being like <laughs> what's this room and she's like she's like i've never had some like i don't think they ever had someone <laughs> visit who was like freaking out yeah that's awesome probably like local school kids being like i don't want to be here yeah <laughs> are we getting ice cream after <laughs> so yeah she's visiting all these things and she talks about how she's either the oldest at the museum tour so she's like with a bunch of those middle schoolers on a field trip like you're talking about or she's uh otherwise the youngest with a bunch of like senior citizens on their on their version of a, a field trip uh, but she's, yeah, she's pretty funny in this book and her passion for the stuff kind of shines through. Uh, but it, so the, I would say the more interesting part was the part about Lincoln, but I'll touch a little bit on the, on Garfield as well. So we like to talk about Garfield. So Garfield's assassin was Charles Guiteau. And he mm. shot, he shot Garfield because he believed that he was owed more for his role in Garfield's victory, he like Ooh. really wanted this uh, consulship in Vienna or like Paris or something. He wanted one of those like cushy positions where he could just like live in Europe mm -hmm. and he didn't get it. So he just like he just shot Garfield after that. So it was like somebody who was like kind of like on his campaign and stuff. I think so. Yeah. Wow. But yeah, uh, so before he did that, he was kind of a weird guy. Uh, obviously, if you know, to get get yourself to the point where you're like killing the president, he was part of have you ever heard of the Oneida community? No. So it's an upstate New York. It was like a pseudo sex cult kind of thing. It's like mm -hmm. a strange, like culty religious community. Mm -hmm. uh, but they ended up being a silverware empire. Nice. <laughs> Oneida is like a, a one of the biggest companies for making silverware. And it's like uh, there's dinnerware. actually a connection, not just the name. Yeah. What? Yeah, no, that's that's what they like pivoted to. <laughs> so on the about page on the Oneida like silverware site, is it like originally we met up to have <laughs> for I don't know. BDSM club? Yeah, I don't know if they distanced themselves from that, but you should check out the uh, you know read a little bit about that. It's interesting stuff. Jesus, Oneida, uh, and also you know Garfield. Garfield apparently was a voracious reader. Ooh. Yeah, so maybe we should check out his library or something. Because yeah. uh, it was mentioned that the recurring theme in Garfield's diaries was apparently like, I'd rather be reading. He just like wanted to be left alone. <laughs> <laughs> we hear you, Garfield. Yeah. So I want to read a little, like just a page and a half from just the beginning of the book. Just to give you an idea of the narrative voice. And also kind of, uh, I don't remember if it touches on the fact that it's from 2005 references, but we'll see. 
I hadn't realized that I embarked on the project of touring historical sites and monuments having to do with the assassinations of Lincoln, Garfield, and McKinley right around the time my country, Ifili, went to war, which is to say right around the time my resentment of the current president cranked up into contempt. Not that I want the current president killed. Like that director, I will, for the record, and for the FBI agent assigned to read this and make sure I mean no harm, hello there, clearly <laughs> state that while I am obsessed with death, I am against it. My simmering rage against the current president scares me. I'm a more or less peaceful, happy person whose lone act of violence as an adult was shoving a guy who spilled beer on me at a Slater-Kinney concert. So if I can summon this much bitterness towards a presidential human being, I can sort of kind of see how this amount of bile or more teeming with disappointment, unemployment, delusions of grandeur, and mental illness could prompt a crazier narcissistic creep to buy one of this country's widely available handguns. Not that I, I repeat, condone that. Like Lincoln, I would like to believe the ballot is stronger than the bullet. Then again, he said that before he got shot. I am only slightly less astonished by the egotism of the assassins, the inflated self-esteem it requires to kill a president, than I am astonished by the men who run for president. These are people who have the gall to believe they can fix us, us in our deficit, our fossil fuels, our racism, poverty, our potholes in public schools. The egomania required to be president or a presidential assassin makes the two types brothers of sorts. Presidents and presidential assassins are like Las Vegas and Salt Lake City that way. Even though one city is all about sin and the other is all about salvation, they are identical one-dimensional company towns built up out of the desert by the sheer will of true believers. The assassins and the presidents invite the same basic question, just who do you think you are? Hmm. Yeah, it sounds cool. Yeah, no, she's uh, uh, I'd be interested to check out some of her other stuff. It seems like she really kind of dove into the research for this, or maybe she was just speaking from the heart because she knew, knew all about it. But my she did, question should go out and do all these things. My question, which we should look up, you know, possibly now is, or maybe you already know, so is you know, she had this passion. She was talking about George Bush, and my question is, did she live through Trump? Yeah, yeah. I think she's still around. <laughs> <laughs> so what happened? How come she wasn't uh, rageful enough to uh, pick up a gun? <laughs> she thought that Bush was going to push her over the edge. That's the thing. Like, I, I, she, she does. She kind of takes some jabs at uh, Bush a bunch of times in this book, and like a lot of the criticisms and other stuff. Like, it sound. It seems like it's from the past couple of years. Like, you know, nothing's changed at all. But. I'll, I'll get into that too with my one star review. Okay, good. <laughs> but uh, like, like I said, uh, when I talked about Sarah Vowell having some interesting connections, uh, first of all, the audiobook for this book, Assassination Vacation, is pretty popular. Mm. You know, as far as I could tell, uh, it's got some famous people playing other famous people. Like, it's not just read by one person. Oh, that's interesting. So it's like an actual production. Yeah, because she has all these connections. You'll you'll see why. I'll, I'll touch on that after. But she got Conan O'Brien to do the voice of Robert Todd Lincoln. Cool. She got Stephen King to do the voice of Abraham Lincoln. Whoa. Uh, she got John Stewart to do the voice of James A. Garfield. All star cast. Yeah, and a a few others too. But those were the the, the biggest three that I saw. Uh, so. More about her. She was an editor for the radio show This American Life, 
for like a long time. So that's how she got all these connections, you know. The plot thickens. Yeah, but she, uh, another crazy one. She's also the voice of the older daughter in The Incredibles, the Pixar film. Wow. (laughs) I think it's actually, it's like you said kind of like earlier, like this person sounds like a testament to like passion. Yeah. And it's not just necessarily like as long as you're passionate about, you know, you can be passionate about like glow worms or whatever. <laughs> you can. And and it'll take you places. Yeah. So I got a one star review here from Ryan on Goodreads. Okay. I thought I was going to read a funny commentary on sites regarding the assassinations, which could be interesting. Instead, I read about 80 pages of a lady trying to be funny, attacking Bush and Republicans and anybody that doesn't agree with her. It's fine. I'm sure she has her readers per her ratings, but I'll find something else to read. Mm. I didn't think it was that harsh, like, <laughs> from, from, you know, reading it. I think, like, I think also, um, I don't know, I might be saying a false statement here, but, like, presidential criticism is also taken, like, a step forward with, like, the the internet and... Twitter and stuff and like, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, also, though, I mean, I think I think as I got older, I realized that, like, no matter what happens, like, that is, like, the gig. Oh, when yeah. You're, when you're president, it's like, that's, like, what it is. Yeah. <laughs> and I think much. it's also designed that way, like, to be like, okay, like, basically, you're just going to hold these other people, like, accountable. And it's, like, really annoying. And that's, like, yay, America. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I mean, all that, uh, there were a few of the reviews that were like that, and it all felt very familiar, mm. you know, from from 15 years ago or whatever. <laughs> right. But yeah, uh, interesting book. She's got some other ones called uh, The Wordy Shipmates, The Partly Cloudy Patriot, Take the Cannoli, and Radio On. Cool. Assassination Vacation. Yeah. yeah, I found it because I think I was looking at a, a Twitter thread or some kind of article or something online that was like, uh, you know, what are what are the funniest books in your opinion? I saw this one a couple times, so started from there. Cool. But yeah, it was good. I'd be interested to check out some of other stuff. And now I, I know a couple random, no, a couple more random facts. Always good. Yeah. So there we go. Thanks for listening, everybody. This has been another episode of Shitty Book Reports. You can find us on Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, Instagram, and Twitter. Our handles are always at SBR the Podcast, no spaces. Same thing with the email, uh, sbrthepodcast at gmail.com. Send us your comments and reading suggestions. And uh, we'll see you next time.